0: finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Hey
1: everybody, welcome to IGN Unfiltered. It is our monthly interview show. We get industry personalities, luminaries, designers, you name it, interesting people in the video game world to talk to. We're gonna be here, buckle up for the next hour, hour plus. Uh, I've got plenty of questions for this man, my guest this week. Aaron Greenberg, Aaron, you are a uh, marketing guru of sorts <laughs> at Microsoft, but you've been—you're one of the almost original Xbox member uh, team members.
2: Sure, yeah. I think of all those descriptions, I, I probably—I'm I, not a visionary or a creator. It might be an interesting person. <laughs> you are an interesting I, okay, person. Okay, I'll take that. So, uh, no, I've been on Xbox for going on 16 years now. I started there in early 2000, and uh, before. The PS2 launched. Uh, I was working on uh, on Xbox.
1: Yeah, if there if Xbox were its own company, you'd be like employee number thirty two or something. Yeah, like Yeah, it's that, a pretty probably, early right? number. Yeah,
2: yeah, and still here, and still loving it, and feel super fortunate to. I love games, and I love this industry, and I feel really fortunate to be able to make a living doing this.
1: So you're you're always out there. You're in the community a lot. You're you've just been sort of at the. Uh, the ground floor of all things Xbox for so long, and I thought that would, would be great to talk to you about. And I want to start with what your actual job is, because we, <laughs> we start, you know, we know you. You know, we know you from the Xbox yeah. community. You're, yeah. you've, you're on message boards from mm-hmm. time to time. Mm-hmm. You're on Twitter. You're mm-hmm. kind of, you're always out there. Sure. But behind the scenes, so you're. I'm gonna. I have to read it to get it right. You're the general manager of global product marketing for first and third party games at Microsoft. Sorry, second party games. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what what exactly does that mean? Technically,
2: is... I also have second party games, but we decided to shorten <laughs> it a little bit. I will say, if you haven't learned at Microsoft, we love really long titles. <laughs> uh, Phil Spencer,
1: head of Xbox. That's except pretty Except for strict. Phil,
2: he, because he makes his own titles. <laughs> so he breaks the rules. Uh, yeah, so basically what it means, uh, first probably is, I have the greatest job in the world. Uh, I get to uh, work uh, on marketing games. Uh, but my team does do, we have a, what we consider a first party and a third party games team. Yeah. Uh, and we basically do, uh, the, the my short title would be head of games marketing.
1: So uh, something like a hunt the truth campaign, stuff like that with Halo, that, that's, that's all ultimately gonna pass through you somewhere along the way?
2: Yeah, I mean the way I would explain it is, um, we do what we call product marketing so we will work with the development studios very very early on in the process so we have people that have been you know working on quantum break for quite a while or people that are working on halo for a number of years and or working with those studios on like the next three or four things each of these studios are doing right um and so we work we're the team working them very very early on and sort of helping scope and define the product and how do we think about different features or naming or pricing or launch timing and all the kind of more customer-centric inputs that help sh- shape what a product what the game actually is so did
1: you name the connect is that is I that an not, aaron
2: greenberg i Julian? did not name the connect uh i think things i've named uh new xbox uh experience i named um uh yeah so but that was a long time ago so well then, uh, then we brought it back right we did bring it back <laughs> we, we did it back bring it new back.
1: xbox one experience yeah, there's a
2: few things i've named but uh and, and to be honest it's hard because we are so team oriented, we operate as a team and we think about a lot of stuff yeah. and brainstorm a lot of stuff. Um, but uh, there's probably a lot of things over the years I've contributed to names on. Um, yeah, I did not, I will tell you, I did not name things like Cockatoo Chojin was not mine. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll take, uh, be clear, I didn't name everything. Uh,
1: um, so like, you know, you mentioned, you just mentioned Quantum Break, which yeah. is a big upcoming exclusive for yeah. Xbox. Yeah. Do you get involved such that, cause you know, that game, uh, you and I were talking off air before yeah. this that you know, it it appears to me. I don't actually know, but you know, obviously the game got recast with Sean Ashmore and yep. uh, the uh, Littlefinger. Yes. Sorry, I can never remember his I name. I just call him Littlefinger too. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you know, it seems like <laughs> the Microsoft yeah. invested more money into that game mm-hmm. with the recasting, getting these name actors, mm-hmm. in an effort to presumably make it from like a you know to sort of up its sales potential I would think right so is that a thing where your team you and your team get involved in that process or do you just is that something where you're told it happens and then you go oh good this makes it this makes my job so much easier and now I can I've got these actors to lean on
2: sure uh, well we do work up close with the studios teams early in that process yeah. Um, We work very collaboratively. There'll be a studio head that will lead that. Usually within that they have someone that's more focused on art or more focused on kind of core engine or engineering and we work with all those different groups. What we then do is we take that and as we get closer to a year out, sometimes a little longer, we then go and we put together all the marketing plan and the strategy and everything around the product and then we share it out with all of our different teams. So we have field teams, we have uh, we have a creative team. So, the teams that actually go and create the TV ads and work with the agencies that do that, we work with them and, and we we'll have a creative brief process and, and we review and participate in that, we work with our PR teams. And so, we're kind of in a hub and spoke model. Yeah. So, we're sort of the point guards, if you will, of all this work. Um, and uh, ultimately, kind of the owners of that process for marketing, but we do pass off a lot of stuff that people then go and do their own creative thing around it as well. You're the, so.
1: you're the Steph Curry of Microsoft. Uh, uh, fair, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: probably a lot of Warrior fans here. But uh, uh,
1: yeah. so what's what's your favorite? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna turn back time and get into figure out how you got to where you are. But before I sure. do, I'm curious, what's your favorite? You know, campaign or. Xbox-related thing you've ever you've ever worked on because obviously there have been a lot of memorable ones over the years. You know, yeah. I mean, Hunt the Truth recently was really great, yeah. uh, especially yeah. the the podcast, yes. which was which was incredible. Yeah. Uh, and then you know everything from the Jump In with yeah. 360 was yeah. uh, was a, was a big one. Yeah. Uh, what what are some of the, your favorites? Yeah, I mean, I think
2: we've done a lot of creative stuff. I think you're right. I mean, I jumped in. I thought you know, uh, and those were kind of the Peter Moore days. Uh, he was very hands-on into that creative process, and you know, I think the Gears of War um, piece. I know he talked Mad about World. Mad World. Yeah, he incredible. talked about that on, on um, our show. Was something here. really, really special. Um, I think they've done. You know, I think that we've got, and a lot of the same people that are creating, working with our creative agencies, and managing that process today are the same people that have been doing it over the years. And so we're really lucky. We have the best creative team, I think, in in uh, in the industry, and or one of and I know there's a lot of talented people out there. And uh, so we, it's great to be able to sort of give them, sort of, hey, here's the product, these are the characters, this is the story, whatever it may be, here's how we're thinking about who the audience is, and then to kind of brainstorm and then work with the agencies, and they go off and bring back a bunch of ideas, and just that whole creative process is really fun. And uh, you know, like right now, we just are been reviewing uh, two different pieces for Quantum Break, and uh, we've got a digital uh, ad and a TV ad. Um, one shot and done. The second one we're shooting now, and you know, and it's just it's it's an incredible process of how that all gets done. So I would say I really just haven't answered either of your <laughs> second or third questions. You're such a marketing thing I feel bad. So first, your question on Quantum Break. I'm, I'm a completionist, though. So Let's do it. Uh, we uh, absolutely thought that Quantum Break was going has the potential to be an extremely innovative game that, in many ways, like can define what like a generation can be, and is a type of game that is you know, like, what is a next gen game? What is a gen eight, gen 8 game? Yeah. And there's a lot of titles. It's like, hey, this is a great game, but it also, you know, how much different is it than what I played last gen? And Quantum Break with the way they're thinking about the narrative, the storytelling, you know, these two sort of, you know, the uh, the hero and the protagonist back and forth. And then the, the ability to use live action as part of that mm-hmm. uh, as a medium for them to tell their story. And just knowing what Remedy does, like, you know, uh, they've never made a bad game they've you know they have incredible storytelling skills and what sam lake and that team does and so giving them more tools and resources to go create something really really special absolutely a deliberate bet for us so and uh, and you know and you know we're seeing final previews of the game right now and we're pretty confident the game's going to deliver
1: I mean it, that's why I think you're fascinating is because it's it's you have the job that I think a lot of video game players don't think about and that's you know, a developer makes the game, and yep. they've got their vision for it. Yeah. But it's it's on you to to sell it. Yeah. To figure out how do I engage the Xbox audience, or in your case, the how uh, to actually buy the game. Because you could have a great game that has either no campaign or a mm-hmm. terrible campaign, or there there's there are bad games that have incredible campaigns and then they sell Correct. fifty million units and you get a big fat raise and a Mercedes and you're on your <laughs> way. And, and, yeah. But it's like so so that yeah. that side of it's really interesting to me. Have mm-hmm. without naming names, sure. Do, have you ever taken something to a developer said so this is how I think we should we should market this game position this game yeah. and they've just gone, wow that is <laughs> that is not at all what I was thinking for my game.
2: Of course. So I think you're right. I mean first it is the we market all the games. So, you know, we know not all, one of the lines I say internally to people, like I say, not. we love all of our children, but they don't all go to the best schools, you know? (laughs) And so, you know, and so it's just the nature of what it is. And so we have to find what makes it unique about each of those. And some of them are big AAA blockbusters, where we know we have a lot of resources, like Halo's an example, where. We did. We were on TV with The Walking Dead in the spring, yeah. with the Chief and Lock Piece, and then we had multiple beats up to the final gameplay trailer, and we had the podcasts and all this other stuff. So we had a lot of resources, and you know. And then there's other titles where, you know, we didn't have any money for TV. Most titles we don't go on TV for. Uh, and how do we market? What do we do? Creative more from a more scrappy standpoint. But all the strategic stuff about when do we announce things? What are the key beats? What mm-hmm. events do we go to? What do we show? What demos do we show? What do we, sh- you know, like? We're heavily involved in all that and it's a super collaborative process, but it is what makes the job so much fun. And you learn. You learn from everything. You know, we're not gonna get it all right, but when we do make mistakes or something happen, we go afterwards and we look back and we go, okay, like we would have done this differently, and here's what we learned, and how do we kind of apply that to the, you know, to the next thing you do? Um to your point about the, you know, and then we also I mean you think about, you know, the creators are going off and making great games, or we're fortunate internally to have I mean, some world-class, you know, studios, whether it's 3 for 3 or Turn 10 or the guys at Coalition or, you know, a a lot of, you know, even smaller teams that we work with through our publishing group. But um, we work with them on naming. What is the, you know, what does the box art look like? What's the Viz ID Is it kind of industry call? So, you know, and all that. And it's an iteration. You know, we iterate and iterate and iterate. And, you know, we, uh, so much of that is how do we, take the essence of what they're trying to do, but then also frame it in a way that we will, you know, when we do create the box that it's got a central figure, there's some sort of key things to allow, how does it look on the shelf, how it look on a website? Usually
1: a lot of blue and orange (laughs) seem to be (laughs) the two dominant colors on any given game box. Yeah, you know, and we
2: have specialists, that's just what they do too. And we work with them on each of them. And so it's just, it's it's an interesting process. Absolutely we have debates about stuff and we debate it and we, you know, but the thing is just to listen and to learn and ultimately. We don't always 100% agree on everything, but I think we have a good track record of uh, at least understanding why we're making decisions and explaining them and we don't just say, this is what we're doing and, you know, too bad. Uh, But we've had, you know, we have different teams. Some teams are more, want to be more involved in it. Other teams are kind of like, listen, we trust you guys, we're just gonna make the game do what you want with it. Yeah. And uh, it just kind of depends on the group how how detailed they are involved. And and some of them frankly have incredible marketing skills and we're like that's genius and like that's better than and our you can idea. You just take credit for it. Totally. Done. We're like yeah, <laughs> some, you know, not all ideas come from us. So we you know, it's a good process.
1: And I've got to imagine that your job affords you at least it, it's probably not monotonous. Right? Monotonous, correct? Cuz you've always got a different game and a new a new challenge. You might be working on a Halo marketing campaign one day and, yeah. a, and a, a Cuphead campaign the next day. Absolutely. Right? So
2: we do first, second, and third party. So first party is obviously all of our exclusive titles, mostly internal studios, but we do have a lot of published titles. Sure. So like Scalebound with Platinum as a published yep. title, uh, as an example, um, you know, or Sunset. Even Remedy and Sunset. I mean Quantum. Remedy Ring. and Quantum, yeah. exactly. So a lot of the best game developers in the world uh, Will make make games for us exclusively, but they want to stay independent, and so you know that works out really well for us. But we also do do second parties. So Tomb Raider is an example of mm-hmm. that. Um, and uh, now,
1: you know. now that that caught Tomb Raider caught a lot of flack from from uh, consumers, from gamers mm-hmm. for, you know. In fact, on I, my podcast, mm-hmm. I was one of the people that kind of wondered, man, it seems unfortunate to take an established third party thing. Yeah and take it away from half the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, we saw it, Sony's doing that same thing with Street Fighter V, you mm-hmm. know, Xbox players don't get that. Is that, like, do you get involved then in the, the messaging of that and trying to sort of make that work too? Because that, that sort of adds a whole nother. like, yeah, you can. You gotta go market the game. It was one of the big uh, first party published titles is your November game, which yeah. is like the big slot that yeah. usually Halo is in the November slot. Yeah. But then does that just add a whole new series of headaches of trying to figure out, well, we gotta sort of convince the fans that that our heart's in the right place here?
2: Yeah, I mean I think we absolutely learned a lot with Tomb Raider. <clears throat> and I think I don't think anybody could have predicted or expected the reaction and how you know what it was like. And with with that said, you know, a lot of the titles that we invest in and the teams we invest in are things that we believe in and by providing that investment you know strategically has a lot of benefits you know and so uh not and and we didn't do it from a standpoint of just hey we want to invest to make sure other people don't have it in many cases we're investing you know it depends on the title but in some cases titles won't get made if we don't invest to make dead rising
1: three be fair a fair example of that
2: uh, I don't remember in that particular case, uh, so I can't say that was. An, but I would say I mean, that was a, the large majority. majority was a
1: Capcom game that was actually published by Microsoft. Right. So that seemed
2: generally. I would say mind. may not have been made at the same scale, or may not right. have been made at all. Right. And so you know, and so when you sort of invest, isn't it's just like how movies get made. People go and invest and say, "I'm going to go make invest to make this have this movie be yeah. made." We go in and say, hey, "We're going to be an investor to make this have this game be made." And sometimes that is the case. In other cases it's a developer that just says hey we want you to help us with the distribution and the marketing of it. We just want to make the game. We don't want mm-hmm. to deal with that. So a lot a lot of that, you know, comes into play. So I think people don't understand maybe that side of the hey, this is actually seed money that's helping something get created in some cases with that said you know it's complex because you know we're really excited we bet on the you know the crystal dynamics team
1: ign's xbox one game of the year was was you know i thought it
2: was a great choice i you know personally i it's probably at the very top of my favorite game of the year as well uh they did an incredible job with that title um and you know and so we're we're excited to have it on our platform And obviously we paid to make it we're publishing it we're going to publish it on our platform we know eventually it will come to other platforms and Gamers everywhere will be able to play it, whether or not they have an Xbox, and you know that's a good thing too. But you know that is a little bit of the nature of the business.
1: So let's rewind a little bit. You've been at Xbox for a long time since yes. 2016 years. Yep. Before that, you were at Disney. Yes. What? So <laughs> what? What is? Uh, what is pre? Yeah. Aaron so I Greenberg worked at, at Nestle like?
2: Food Company, and I worked at Disney uh, Consumer Products. Uh, so I worked at a before Microsoft recruited me. I was um, in Burbank, California. The Disney Channel building if anyone from California kind of knows that area and I worked in um, in a children's books business actually interesting and I worked for a guy named David Haddad if you happen to know he's now the head of Warner Brothers Interactive so he runs all that business I haven't talked to him in a long time so I'd <laughs> love to reconnect with David he's a great guy and uh, I was in the marketing team Uh, And so my back traditionally, I would say the role I traditionally played was I usually was in the marketing org But I was always the data and insights and analytics. So i was doing a lot of modeling or analysis or forecasting And so in that case, it was like How many books should we make what price point should they be Mm -hmm. Uh, looking at different types of formats? Where are we going to distribute the books Um, and working with the teams uh, to help build? uh, You know data models and things like that to figure out how we go to market with them Um, And so I did that for uh, not for you know a little over a year and then Microsoft had uh, called to come. What'd you me do at come. Nestle? At Nestle I did I did uh, uh, I was in operations and I actually did planning of production. I would plan how much products we would produce in our plants and then uh, the other thing I did was I would plan our supply chain of how we would ship things. So there was a like we had to get to the retail stores or their distribution centers but like you could ship by truck, which is super expensive, but fast. It's like a simulation game, okay? It is. It's, it's like, like, it's, like totally a, is. it's like a train simulator game. or I mean, and so, by the way, I love simulation games, which might, might explain this. Uh, you could do it what they would call by piggyback where you put the truck on the train. So that was kind of an in-betweener. So it was right. a little bit cheaper, but uh, not quite as fast as the yep. truck. And then there was rail.
1: Don't put the cookie dough on that truck.
2: No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then the rail was like super cheap, but... Really slow and like they get lost sometimes and you know, so and you had and like the whole idea it was fell off the track exactly, exactly, and so that was a lot of uh, you know opt, I was Optimizing the model so yeah. that we were never out of stock at retail And then we didn't we didn't make too much and it was just a sufficiency Simulation game basically uh, and I did that for a number of years and what I didn't realize was the woman that I worked for there um, had gone to work at Microsoft because Microsoft started calling me and I was like, listen, why am I ever going to move to Seattle? Doesn't it rain all the time there? <laughs> and so I actually t- refused to interview at Microsoft. It's funny how this all works out. And uh, this guy I worked with at Disney and they kept calling and calling. And I was like, "Like, I, I was a junior guy. I'm like, There's, like, seriously? Like, I'm not, you know, I, I appreciate it. leverage. You get some more money out of your current
1: well, employer, right? you know,
2: I, I don't know. I- I've never been about the money. So, you know, and then uh, but this guy was a Harvard MBA guy, really sharp guy, and he's like, listen, it's a free trip to Seattle, go learn about it, we have nothing to lose. Yeah. And I went up there, and I'm not gonna lie, I was blown away by Microsoft. Just the the p- quality of the people, how smart they were. All, I mean, all the, I, you know, I talked to people in finance, I talked to people in marketing, all the different groups, and they were like the sharpest person in their field I'd ever met. Um, you know, and then uh, Seattle's a great city. I you know, didn't know. I just saw, it. what do you see? I mean, watch a Monday night football game in Seattle. Yeah. You know, just see the rain and it, someone's throwing fish, right? So I was like, okay, I don't know. It doesn't tell me much about Seattle. So and I fell in love with Seattle and the idea to be able to live downtown. And I grew up in Southern California. No one really, it's so spread out. So this, I could walk the things and right. live in the city. And so, yeah, I just no family, no friends, knew nobody. And in 1997, I, uh, on Christmas, actually, I moved wow. to Seattle and I uh, went to work at Microsoft, and I was doing forecasting for all of our products in Latin America, probably a much longer answer than you or your, your listeners will wanna put up with. But that's I, what
1: we that we have the time on okay, this good. show. This okay, is good. where we, this this is is where we get into learn, it.
2: What, more and more than you ever the want Aaron, to know. The Aaron Greenberg deep cut right yes. now. Yes, or how do you get a job in video games? Maybe, <laughs> maybe this is it, I don't know. I think so much of it is like the opportunity of being at I think the right place at the right time. So I did that for a couple of years, and I was doing forecasting for all of our products in Latin America, and... Um, and then yeah, where does like, the
1: Xbox come into the picture. Well, then
2: they, the, the team at Xbox reached out and said, Hey, we need somebody to come and do, uh, analytics and do uh, business insights work for us on Xbox. We're starting this Xbox thing. We don't, I mean, we don't know like what genres sell where, how much should the games beat and be, you know, like what, what, yeah. what's the model like? How much is wholesale versus retail yeah, you know,
1: Microsoft like, didn't hadn't made a console before people forget that that was an entirely new business they made at most Windows games yeah for and a we while. didn't
2: sell a lot of stuff at retail either yeah, so just the whole model ha- just, of, just hardware in general exactly right? so I got I came in and I uh, ended up uh, running a small team called the Xbox business intelligent team and uh, we would do everything from uh, I did the first the contracts with NPD I built this Tool called the Mega Pivot, which was I was very proud of it. T- actually, still used today, but it's basically all the sales data, really easy to use, really self-service. You could look at any by genre, by year. You could look at any title, see and easily. Anyone could use it to see how much it was selling. That was no one could ever used. To always have to request custom reports or data. Hmm. I, just made it, you know. And then did a lot of like uh, analysis on. I remember like we did a report on like the Dreamcast launch and like what did we yeah. learn from that? Or we would do competitive reviews and then. Uh, Went to Japan a lot, spent a lot of time with folks there, learning about the industry, and met with a lot of analysts there. Um, just, I became, what I did now, was I committed. How old were you committed. at this
1: point? When, you know, uh, you st- 2000, you, you know, you'd been up in Seattle for three years, know. you said. Or it, yeah. 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 Well, how, how, at one uh, point, you know, is this let's like. Let's
2: see, I was. Were you a
1: well-traveled uh, professional um, at that see. point? Or was this like still a young kid, Greenberg, I was eye-opening?
2: I was uh, not 30 yet. So, uh, I don't remember, what late, late, mid to late 20s. Okay, so. yeah. Yeah, I would say I was um, new enough to, like, I think, be capable, but was still, like, super learning. And for me, it was fascinating to study and learn. I, for me, it was about almost, like, getting a degree in video games because I had to learn everything about the right. industry. Were you a
1: gamer before you I joined was, I was a
2: gamer, uh, and, uh, like, I bought Dreamcast on day one when it launched. Yep. And uh, I wouldn't say— more
1: thanks you, by the way. I'm, yeah,
2: <laughs> I was a huge Dreamcast fan. But I wasn't, like, the super, super, super hardest of the hardcore. Yeah. But I played a lot of games, and I was a gamer um, for sure. And I was fascinated by the business in the industry, and so that kind of led me. I did that for a while, um, and then. So did
1: you? Uh, yeah. Were you? You were telling me before that yeah. the. You you did analytic you did prediction models yes for the original Xbox launch lineup yes I did <laughs> which of course included you know you had Halo of course yes, yes.
2: Azuric yes. and Munch's Odyssey correct and that, uh, did and Nightcaster and that? make launch I'm trying to, I think it did yeah so I basically had a model and I worked with all the guys who now would be on my team today all the product marketing guys who we do a lot of that too yeah. like how much are we going to sell these things. And what, did, were you pretty dead on with most of your? We were so far off on everything. <laughs> so far on off, everything, way off. And I mean, we, the number one title we expected was going to be Munch's Odyssey. Right, because
1: historically yeah. the sort of side-scrolling platform character adventure Absolutely. had kind of been the the go-to game of any console. Totally. Right? And then we
2: didn't have any like even if you remember that E3, we had Halo of that E3. It kind of had an okay E3. Right.
1: It didn't. It didn't show it didn't super bo- well. No,
2: it wasn't talk of the show or anything. You yeah. know. And so. Halo took off when it launched. And there was like, you know, that is the lightning in a bottle. I mean, yeah. we all played it and it was a masterpiece. You might not be sitting here
1: if not for Halo. I don't right? think
2: any of us would be here if it wasn't for Halo. Yeah. I mean, you'd probably still be here, Ryan. But well, I mean, OXM wouldn't have existed,
1: which is where I work, so yeah, I might not be we here. Maybe both either.
2: wouldn't be here. But you're <laughs> right. Halo became that true killer app platform, you know, defining title. Um, Really,
1: the last killer app for anything, I mean, I guess Wii Sports counts, right? That's about 100 million
2: Wiis, but, yeah,
1: yeah, the age of the killer app seems dead. You know, I think think there's so many
2: big titles now. We saw, I think, Grand Theft Auto was a big one for Sony and PS3, and, you know, but I think... Nintendo's had it. Nintendo would fo- still, their model, they kind of yeah. focus on one big release and they, they work in that killer app model and I think Super uh, Mario Kart 8 did incredible numbers for them even on the Wii U. So, you know, they've got killer apps. Well, killer apps. apps at launch
1: seemed bad. Anyway. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Yeah. Do you have so do you have any good stories from the early Xbox days that, are either, that, <laughs> that were either funny tell. at the time or maybe are funny now in hindsight?
2: You know, I think we did a lot of fun stuff. We just, you know, we, we were learning, we were making a lot of mistakes, it was a small team.
1: It was like a, like a pirate ship, right? We a pirate were, crew. It
2: was, we were, just we Wallace. may have been part of Microsoft, but we were at the, uh, and I'm sure people have heard Peter Moore tell the story, we were, the main campus was this beautiful, beautiful campus. You were at the end, right? We were at the end of the freeway <laughs> next to a gravel pit company. And they, so, like, I would get dings in my windows in my Uh-oh. car all the time. So for me, a lot of my memories are just stuff we did with team members. So we used to, one of our executives isn't there anymore, used to do this thing. And, you know, it was probably a nice idea, but we used to do this employee of the month thing. And we just thought it was employee of the month. That sounds like something they should do at (laughs) McDonald's, right? So they they had a parking space for employee of the month. So we would race back from lunch every day and try to get into his spot. And so I do remember I made it to his spot one day and I just went to work, whatever. And then I came back out and he had literally saran wrapped my entire car. He had gone to Target and bought heavy duty saran wrap and it took me hours to, like my car fully, I wish I saw the photo, fully wrapped in saran wrap. Just
1: cocooned. Yeah, so
2: we used to do, I would say it was fun. We, you know, a lot, we would do, you know, one of this guys was like Albert Pinello, if you've heard of him. So Albert worked with him and he was always a car guy, always was like fixing up cars and stuff. So we would, he'd be at a meeting, we'd see his cars, we, Sometimes I was involved. A lot of times, someone else. But uh, they would take Don't his admit car, guilt now. totally, and they'd move it to somewhere else in the parking lot. <laughs> and then we just sit in there and just watch him as he goes out. And he's like, thinks his car's been oh, stolen. That, that's ice it's, cold. It's, man. It's, it's cold, you know. And then actually, I remember Albert had this list in his office one time. These are just random. You've asked for random stories. Yes. And it said, "Yeah, people to kill." And it had a <laughs> list of people to kill. And uh, from the Adam Sandler movie, uh, God, I'm forgetting the name of the movie, but he calls up the guy in the movie, and he's like, hey, I just wanna apologize, make amends for what I did. And the guy's like, thank you. You, you know, done it, he hangs up, and then he crosses his name off the list of people. You never know, like the high school guy you went to, went to high school <laughs> with that's like a serial killer. So Albert had this list. Well, he interviewed a candidate, or something happened, and HR got wind of this. Yeah. And I swear to God, I got a call from HR, and they go, listen, we know you work with Albert Pinello and..." There's this people to kill list, and there's, no. Then they go, we've noticed your names on it, and I was like, okay. And I'm like, but you know, like it's like
0: it's you've a seen ghost. the movie, yeah. right?
2: And they're like, oh, are you sure? And they actually made them take it down. Jeez. So there's been some fun, you know, like a lot of stuff like that. But I would say, you know, the other stuff was just. Growing up in the business, like getting to present to Robbie Bach every yeah. month. We do like a business overview or working with Jay Allard um, in the early days. Of Where did he do go? Great. Jay disappeared. Oh, Jay was one of the greatest.
1: He, is a, he, he, in, he you know, uh, invented the, uh, the, the hoodie, hoodie over the, over the sport the jacket. Sitting down on the stage. Yeah. The I, I remember the, that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, you know, he was, God, that guy was smart. I
1: know? would love to interview him. Jay yeah. Allard, if you're watching this. Jay, you
2: should get on here as <laughs> Come well. on I mean. in. I, that's a show I'd like to watch. I won't bite. Yeah. So, you know, I think, but a lot of the, like, I mean, I remember the first PowerPoint deck on like what Xbox live should be, you know, and sitting in the room and and it's like, Hey, well, we want to have this online service. And we knew we had the hard drive and the ethernet port, but it was like, we want people to be able to chat in the living room and we want to be able to, and then what game should we do? You know? And so for me, it was fun to be part of that. And we did a lot of trial and error, but we also were, we were small. We were able to make a lot of stuff happen quickly. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was really it was it was a really fun time and a lot of great memories. Uh, and there's still a few you know kind of monks from back in the day that are still around. Um, and uh, it's great to, to be able to catch up with them as well.
1: What's what's an average day for? I always like to ask this of people yeah. because I think people that work in the making and, and creating of video games and you know you're you're in the trenches at yeah. Microsoft Microsoft yeah. Xbox campus. Yeah. Walk me through an average day for you, because what does that look like? I think most it's, people like I don't, I don't know. I have no yeah. idea what what sort of I would how say you it's probably a lot less
2: glamorous than what people think, you know. So I think whenever I tell anyone I work on Xbox, or they're like, "Oh, that must be an easy sit in your office and play a video game, You probably <laughs> we get, get, get that same. all the yeah. time,
1: yeah.
2: And uh, or I wish that were the case. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's you know families or everyone's kids are always like, "Oh my god, I wish I had." I'm like, eh. but so my day every day, it, two words. I would say email. Yep. And meetings and like that summarizes my yes so uh, I will start my day usually at 8 and then go to usually about 6 wow. between 8 and 6 I'm in meetings almost every every minute of the what meeting day. are
1: you missing right now for this
2: well today we're moving offices so that's actually how I'm <laughs> able to make this whole thing happen so uh, I'm happy to be here but uh, but I will do 8 to 6 and in some cases so give a little profile what that would be yeah. so full and, and if I'm lucky, I can go get lunch. If I'm lucky, uh, it's that really? crazy. Yeah, I, and I do that five days a week, and then Boy. I go home and have dinner, and da da da, and then I'll go and do email again late at night. Oh, so no. it's a it's a hard grind. I mean, but you, that's why you have to love what you do. And so, uh, and I work with an inc- like my team, like I, they're like family. I mean, we have an incredible team of people. You know, pe- you know, great great guy that leaves leaves our. Halo marketing stuff, or we have great folks that that do run our third-party marketing with our third-party partners, and so we just we just have an incredible, really, really close team, and and so we work work really well together. We have a lot of fun at work, um, but we work hard. And so I'd say a, a normal day, you know, I'll have meetings that I'm in. Uh, sometimes we'll be presenting to Phil and our mm-hmm. leadership team, and we'll be taking them through a recommendation, or we'll be giving them an update on a title, and we may want to. Uh, Get maybe more investment in the title. We may want to move the title date. Right. We may want to confirm, like here's our go-to-market plan, whatever that may be. Uh, there'll be other times where I'll be meeting with my directs. I meet with them every week, and we go through kind of all the key things that are happening in the business. Get a lot of their feedback on key decisions we're making. Uh, you know, we do a lot. We review our budgets. There's a lot of administrative stuff that's probably super boring. I do one-on-one meetings with all all my directs, and then uh, and so I meet. I do thirty minutes to an hour with them, so we sync on. Hey, you know. So there's a guy named Guy Welsh who works for me, and he manages Gears and Forza, and so he'll give me an update, you know, he spent the week out at Turn 10, and right. here's what's happening with their project, or he actually this week he's up at been up at Coalition, and I'll get a deep dive from him, and he'll say, hey, so here's how we're thinking about this next beat or this yeah, thing. Yeah, band is coming up. Totally. And so, you know, we go through a lot of that, and then he'll, you know, we'll strive to, what should we do, what are the options, what are the challenges, where's the studio out on stuff, you know, and then... Phil will send us random mails saying I think we should do this or that, and you know, and, and we're like, "Hmm, that's an interesting idea." So it's just a lot of that that kind of stuff. Um, and then within marketing, like I'm games, but there's also someone else that does Xbox Live and leads that team. There's someone else that does our hardware, which mm-hmm. does like hardware and the bundles and all that. And right. then we sit uh, and do a lot of work together across teams as well. So. Uh, and that just between all that and all the other reviews, it ends up yeah, we end up in meetings all all day every day.
1: So when when uh, recently Scalebound was yeah. moved to 2017, yeah. was moved to next year. Yeah. So is were you a part of that, or is that mm-hmm. one thing? Or is that was it a, I guess is it sometimes a marketing decision and sometimes a development decision?
2: It's almost always a team decision. Right. You know. So in this case, you know, we uh, there's someone on my team that that uh, has been dedicated to Scalebound, working with kamiya San and team works for one of my directs. And then uh, they've been working with our publishing team and with Kami-san and his team very closely. And as we're sort of looking at the lineup for this year and kind of where they are and what their aspirations, them that game is super aspirational. And uh, we want to be able to give them enough time and resources to do that. You know, and so that's one, like from a production standpoint, it makes sense to have the time. But on the other side, from a marketing standpoint, who would want to launch new IP in the middle of holidays with, quarter, with right? all the other games you already have? Yeah. You know, so strategically we think it's, you know, give it time to breathe. Let's make sure we can give it enough space so that people, one, first and foremost, always make sure the game's great and make sure the quality yeah. is there. Two is when is the right time to, to launch it and support it? And we, we know the game will be great and so, you know, we'll we'll it'll be coming in you know in early twenty seventeen and, and you know, I think that will set it up for better success, you know, anyway.
1: Do you guys think a lot about about the, the calendar and trying to have some sort of balance. Because like yes. 2015, you guys had a killer lineup. I mean, yeah. e- everything was really good, you, yeah. to your, exactly the point you just said. I mean, mm-hmm. Rare Replay, Gears Ultimate, yeah. on to Forza, yeah. and then uh, Halo yeah. and Tomb Raider. Raider. Yeah. They were all really good, totally. uh, but the, the, I think the criticism of the Xbox lineup would be that it was pretty, I guess, top-heavy, bottom-heavy, depending on how you want to mm-hmm. look at the year. We didn't get a lot of uh, Xbox uh, exclusive, you know, first party stuff in the earlier part of the year. So do you, obviously sometimes you probably just can't control that because development is what it is and you've got games that are going to be ready when they're ready. But do you, does your team try to really balance out the year as best as possible? We do. We
2: spend a lot of time thinking about the All Up portfolio um, and we work with each of the studio leads. There's also a studio's business team that we work with. Um, you know, uh, on the business side and financial side, that's building. You know, the P and L and all the models across all the studios teams, mm-hmm. and so we'll work very collaboratively with them to look at that portfolio and what do we do. I mean, you're right. I mean, on one hand, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, we had a lot of great games, and so like if we didn't have a lot of great games, then you know people would be like, hey, how come we don't have enough great games. <laughs> so it's kind of a good problem to have. Yeah. On the other hand, what we did was we said, you know, historically we haven't launched any games in August. So for example, we made the recommendation. Let's put Rare Replay out in August. Let's put Gears of War out in August. Let's try to move some stuff earlier. And it was a big bet to do that. Yeah, we've seen
1: success in years past. I mean, the early Xbox 360 days, Dead Rising was an August game. The first Bioshock was an August game.
2: Yeah, and we look at like usage and we're looking at like what, so we don't see a lot of new games launch at that time period, but we looked at some tells that were like, hey, we see a lot of live usage. We know people are on vacation, they may be out of school. So we know like we have an engaged audience. Uh, And then two, you know, with both those cases, these were titles that uh, we weren't planning on putting big, you know, multi-million dollar TV campaigns behind. So we knew we had to do it that we call our owned and earned channels where we do it through our dashboard or we, you know, really leverage a lot and rely a lot on, you know, folks like IGN to feature it and reviews to carry the weight. And And so how do we kind of promote it? Um, through those channels in a way that can drive, you know, awareness and buzz and purchase intent ideally um, And it worked really well. I mean rare Re- and but both products were great, too but it allowed them to be great products have their moment in the Sun let people Uh, become aware of them, try them and word of mouth uh, and kind of drive that. And they both did very, very well for us. Um, And I think being in that window helped them a lot. I mean, Rare Replay trying to launch in November would have been disastrous. Right. And so, um, you know, and with that said, you're right. I mean, this holiday, we had seven AAA titles launch in that four-week period. And Fallout was one of our third-party deal titles. So we Mm -hmm. were doing all the co-marketing with them. Um, and, uh, you know, and when we had battlefront, we had EA access a week early on, you know, so right. we were, there was, you know, just eventually, uh, there, the pizza is so big and you're just slicing it in more slices <laughs> yeah. and you're not really growing the pie. Right. And so, um, you know, it just becomes, it becomes hard. Uh, and I think we've, you know, we've we've learned, and I think you'll see as we're looking at this year, you'll see, you know, you, you know, I think what we've done with uh, with Skillbound is a good example of that. Of hey, we don't need that talent holiday, uh, and let's give them enough time to to realize their full ambitions as well. Do you uh, do you keep much of an eye on the competition?
1: Do you have a Do you have a Wii U at home? PS Four at home? Do you, yes. do, do you keep tabs on what those guys? are I up do. To?
2: Yeah, I have a PS Four. I have a Wii U, um, and uh, I do. I have Steam on my on my Win10 PC. So, uh. I had to throw the plug in there, <laughs> Windows 10. <laughs> Brought to you by, yeah. <laughs> they pay my bills. Actually, I, I'll be honest, I love Windows 10. I mean, it is, I've been very happy with the OS and, uh. uh been thrilled with that. And, and uh, but I, I play, I do. I mean, the challenge I have is just how much free time do I have to play games? Right. And, uh. and I want to play our games. And so, you know, I went up like I played Halo all the way through before it came out. And just to be able to sort of, you know, for big titles in particular, I want to be able to dedicate the time. And then I play a lot of the games earlier as we're going through the cycles or we're trying to kind of, you know, give them feedback or even try to anticipate what the response might be like um, and dial up or down different marketing levers or programs uh, as well. Um, So I don't get as much time to play that, but I have good friends that work at Sony and we do, you know, they always send me their titles and I send them our titles. We have a nice friendly exchange and
1: you mean it's not a bitter console war where it's a blood feud
2: and, and only one company can
1: survive and someone has to die?
2: It is not no, as the world me? appears on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, you know, the way I would describe it is um, it's like a football game, you know? It's like we've got two teams on the field and we're competing. Poor Nintendo. We're com- Sorry, Nintendo. <laughs> well, sometimes it's them. Who is it? There's more than two teams in the league, okay?
1: <laughs> wow. Uh, you saved it. You Fair saved enough. it with the... See, there yeah, we go. There See, go. I've you got, got some
2: marketing instincts. So, but, you know, we play and compete, but after the game, we shake hands. We yep. know these people, you know. Uh, you know, At the Game Awards uh, this fall, I was spent over an hour hanging out and talking with Sean Layton and, you know, runs PlayStation of America. And so... Uh, I think of the Americas, don't want to undersell his title. But, you know, or uh, Eric Limpell, who works for him and runs marketing and the PlayStation Network. I mean, I, you know, uh, or Adam uh, on the third party side. So, like, I know all these people. And so after the game, like, we all shake hands and we're like, yeah. listen, the thing is, we all, it's like for football, it's like we all love football. We all love what we do. Yeah, you wanna
1: win, but at the end of the day, you're not looking to hurt well, anybody.
2: Exactly. Basically. Exactly. And so, you know, I think we all feel really fortunate that we get to work in this industry and while we compete, there's an admiration, and and it's what you know, it's it's how we connect, and what makes this industry so special and unique. And there's not a, there's no hatred or you know any of that. And I think what you see, unfortunately, sometimes online, uh, is not really reflective of really you know we're we're human people. We're often friends. We'll go out to dinners, and you know, and spend time together. Uh, now, strategically, you know, we may not. You know, uh, we obviously don't share secrets, but, right? But uh, but at, you know, and we don't share playbooks to use the same thing, you know. And then, you know, but I'm you know, I'm sure a lot of football players do the same thing, of course. And we know our fans root for us, and you know, and people sometimes give me a hard time when I go out and kind of trumpet stuff we're doing or whatever. But it's like, yeah, I root for the home team, you know. Like so who
1: pays your bills? Exactly. Right? Like
2: yes, I want us to sell more, do better, you know, whatever, you know. And so, uh, and that, that also as the marketing guy, that's my job <laughs> also, you know. So. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it's, I think, a lot closer, friendlier industry than probably what people, what people really now, think.
1: you mentioned in the middle of that answer that, uh, you know, you get to, you'll often sit down and play things in the middle of development, maybe, yeah. you know, you guys, of course, Microsoft, you guys have builds coming yeah. in for various yeah. updates and, th- or, uh, you know, uh, just progress along the way, whether yeah. it's, you know, an alpha or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, what are you playing lately? Early, yeah. What, what so, early stuff? Well, uh, that's, that's, I mean, you're not giving away any secrets because you know, you're playing. through yeah, I'll as in development.
2: Well, first, I think what's interesting is that, you know, through that cycle of development, there's a lot of stages and, and gates that people don't realize. But you know, in the early concept phase, it's often there's nothing to play. Right. And then there there's like a pre prototype phase. First playable. Totally. Yeah. And then there's a prototype. But then then. Then you get into, like, full production, which is where, like, the millions and millions of dollars usually gets spent. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, well, I will tell you what I've played that I, that I thought from a prototype or, or kind of maybe prototype leading into production now. Uh, this was this was uh, last year. But actually, I've played I played no, a number of times over the last year is um, Sea of Thieves.
1: And That's really high on my personal list. Okay. If anybody listens to Podcast Unlocked, that's the – if that game – I'll let you finish in a second, but I just kind yeah, yeah. That it's. I said the word. I know you set me off, but <laughs> yeah. no. It's I just there's something about the the sunny vibe of that game, yeah. the idea of a connected pirate game. Like, if that, if they can, if Rare can actually deliver the, a full game that lives up to the slice shown in that trailer yeah i will be very happy so yes tell me yeah i mean it. i
2: think what the vision they have of this game and what they are creating the sh- this kind of shared world experience and i think the uniqueness of rare and you know what we've played was you know i you know is a was a you know visually not stunning thing right but, you that know, comes later totally right? exactly and you know and the scale and all the stuff may not be there but the core mechanic of hey it's me and a bunch of people on a ship and we're doing a bunch of stuff and we're going to an island and then we're you know, and then what happens when I die? And then how do we all work together? Who's raising the sail? Who's do, like, I mean, like, oh, we've had so much fun. And then it's just funny to see the, so we were playing with like Kudo and Phil. And so Kudo just jumps in the water and goes, jumps on another ship. He goes AWOL, right? And then- <laughs> I, I know that sounds like something he would totally, totally do. And then he then he finally goes AWOL and then they don't see him for a while. And then he comes back around and he starts blasting cannons at their ship. So. <laughs> You know, and then but then on the other hand, you know, there's this guy named Hanno Limke who runs our European studios now, and Rare reports into him, um, and he's, well, I'll be careful. He's Canadian. He's like super, like high integrity guy. So I get on the ship, and I, by the way, and I'm just like, oh my god, like we've been in meetings all day. And I'm like, I'm finally playing games. Right. So I run around and I start like hitting him with like a fish, you know. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, we got to, there's water down below. We got to raise the the anchor. We got to set the, he's like, so he starts putting me to work. And I'm like. She and you're
1: I, beating him with a fish. I am.
2: Because I'm just like, it's, why not? You know? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And so, uh, so it's just fun. You know, just an example of a kind of a, you know, uh, a full, you know, it's kind of an earlier uh, prototype of the game. But so much fun and what you know when you see those types of experiences and we're all playing and we have did this multiple times throughout the year and we saw it progress um and you know all of us had these great stories and then what craig duncan and his team did was they videotaped us all playing and they gave us all like pirate names and i'm r and Greenbeard, you know <laughs> so you know and and uh and then he tra- anyway so then uh I was like, okay i can't tell all the story but uh but anyway, but with the magic of it, and then we're talking about it, and like that's when you know you're like, there's a there there.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is like, have you you've been doing this a long time now, yes. sixteen years on yeah. on Xbox? Yeah. Are you at the point where you can tell when something's going to be special or really good?
2: I think I'm still. I feel like I haven't mastered it. I would say I have. I, I would say I have a lot more experience and uh, have gone through a lot more cycles than others have, but. I still like. I want to hear like what other people on my team think. I want to hear. You know, I mean, Phil is like genius at this. I mean, he truly has that magical ability. to He's see playing stuff. every day. We He's, we see his Destiny profile. Oh my He's, god! When you guys talk it. about how many hours, I don't know what how many hours is he out on Destiny Hundreds. now? Yeah, it's embarrassing. Uh,
0: As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. Hi, I'm
3: Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Check out new episodes Mondays and Fridays for a wide variety of topics and news episodes. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rage on.
2: You know, and then, then, you know, and the funny thing is, like, he would... You know, he's always inviting me to play Destiny, you know, with him. This is over the last, this is before Halo came out and all this. And so, uh, and then, you know, sometimes like my wife would be home like watching TV and she'd be like, Aaron, I got like 12 invites from Phil to play with you, you know. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, I'll send him a note, you know. But he's super always inviting and social, which I love. But the dude is, he probably plays more games than anyone else in the building. Uh, Of course, we're in multiple buildings now. That's good. It's great. He needs to know, yeah. That's what you want in the head of your business. Yes. Um, And so, uh, yeah. So I think... I think we're learning, and I think the thing I think we do have a good sense of is when it comes to how we market titles, how we launch titles, how we bring them to market, we have a very good sense of what works and what doesn't. And some of it may be common sense, um, but titles and the types of games and how they're getting made are changing, how we're launching games are changing, you know, there's uh, we have more games as a service titles now than we did before. We have a lot more people buying stuff digitally, and so um, we have a lot more, you know, people adding on a lot more content and doing rec packs and Halos, a new thing, yeah. and so you know, and then like in Halo now we're doing like service, like it's running as oh, a full massive updates, and, yeah. the stuff we just just put out this week and like all the new stuff that's coming, uh, you know, new weapons, new maps, et cetera, and like we're doing that every month.
1: So when you when you're playing something like a Sea of Thieves, yeah. super early in development. Yeah does that help you, like, will you latch on to a, a really cool mechanic? Because mm-hmm. you said, you know, the mechanics are there, yeah. just the rest of it's not. Correct. Will, does that help you latch on to a really cool mechanic to go, okay, this is how we can sort of help sell this game and position this game is, you know, maybe the, like, will, yes. I guess what I'm trying to say is, will yeah. something like that work its way in later where maybe the, like, in in, in six months from now or a year from now, whatever it is, mm-hmm. It, if at the very end of a Sea of Thieves trailer, yeah. it's like, you know, the Xbox logo screen, yeah. and then there's like a, a stinger at the end of a character beating a, another character with a fish. <laughs> well, that, and then that we'll just, be, well, uh, no. Like the, so yeah. does stuff like that kind of, when you get the early access and you're playing yeah. early builds, does, does that help sort of drive the direction of where you think you can take the, the marketing of the game.
2: Absolutely, I mean, it's so important to us because we are the only team really that is, uh, from the marketing side, we have a huge organization of people that do different things in marketing, but we're the only people that are playing the game, know the game, know the whole vision of what they wanna create. And so then what we'll do is like, we did the naming. So like, you know, we go off and work on naming. How could we possibly name a product without even knowing what it is, right? And so it's just, you know, it makes sense, but that informs that. Yeah. We're doing vis, what we call the vis ID Visual ID. So we're right now, you know, the what is Visual ID, the key Visual ID, which a lot of people Basically think is... Basically the box art, the box right? Art. Right, yeah. exactly. But it also ends up being, you know, all the same stuff you see in retail or on digital assets or whatever right. it is. And so what is that iconic thing? and. You know, and with pirates, you could imagine go all different kinds of directions. And so, knowing what the game is and the the style of the game, the tone of the game, the color palette of the game, you know, and we work collaboratively with with Rare and that team on it, uh, absolutely informs those things. Uh, and so that is that is a super fun part of part of what we get to do.
1: So three Xboxes yes. under your belt at this point yeah. in your in your
2: Microsoft career. Yeah.
1: What would you say is the proudest moment of your career so far at Microsoft? <sighs>
2: Wow, you know, there, I would say there's a couple things that come to mind, um, and it might be a little different what you would expect. But um, you know, I was doing marketing for Xbox Live early after I did the business intelligence I went and then did Xbox Live yeah. uh, for a while, and um, so I got to market the new Xbox One experience, and really uh, also did the marketing and PR. So I got to really when we did the unveil of that at E3. That year, um, and got to work with John Shepard at the time uh, to unveil that. And uh, the other party may not remember was we were, I think, one of not the very first box ever to bring Netflix to the TV. That's right. And yeah, that so was big for that you. That was I, to me, you know, because so much of this is about like we work super hard, but like, how do you leave? Like, I always tell people my team, like, what you want to, you want to leave your fingerprints on this industry. You want to be able to say, hey, you know, I helped contribute to this thing, or I had this idea, or I helped make this thing happen. And for me, like, it may not be a gaming thing, but like, I remember going down and we had dinner with Reed Hastings, and we were talking with them and his team and, uh, about, you know, Netflix at that time was only mail-order discs. Right. And, uh, and everyone loved them, and it was, did you have one, two, or three discs, right? And <laughs> yeah. so, and they were this kind of vision of what they wanted to do digitally, and we worked with them early on. And, uh, and to be able to work with them and to announce that, and what that did and how that kind of took off, at the same time, reinventing it was also the first time that we can remember where we actually took a consumer electronics product and relaunched it entirely through software you know and now it's like every system gets updated and all that Mm -hmm. but those things had not been done before so for me that was a highlight just getting to you know uh work with the team that was envisioning it helping drive a lot of the key decisions helping market and you know launch that stuff oh that was a that was a pretty big big highlight i think the other thing for me is i always get really excited about when you can do a lot with like a little. And so I worked on Xbox Live Arcade in the early days and ro- launched that program um, and uh, got to, you know, get to market and promote a lot of those titles in the early days. And we had, um, we had Pac-Man uh, on the service. And one of the things we had done, we were sitting in the room and, you know, I was thinking about Pac-Man and I was like, you know, the great thing about Pac-Man is you have that one maze, but like no one's ever created a different maze, and there's only been one. And so I went to Japan and met with Toru Iwatani, the original creator of Pac-Man, and uh, the folks at Namco, and said, listen, we wanna do, this is before eSports, before anything, I said, we wanna yeah. do a Pac-Man World Championships. We wanna do it on Xbox Live, and we wanna take all these players from around the world, we wanna allow them to play the current Pac-Man that we're bringing to Xbox Live Arcade, but then, uh, we want to surprise them and create the first brand new maze ever for Pac-Man. Such an iconic thing. Yeah. And uh, and they agreed, you know. And so it was like, oh my God, they agreed. Now, by the way, I had no marketing, I had no budget, I had nothing. <laughs> so like they agreed. Now they're going to make a new product. And of course, we're going to sell it. So there's, you know, there's, not, you know, uh, but for them to prioritize this or whatever else they're doing was kind of cool. Then two, we had to do this whole. I would say pre esports world championships. We had people from all over the world playing, mm-hmm. and we did leaderboards through live and whatever. And we got uh, we got Quiznos to sponsor it, and they paid for the entire thing because we literally had no money. <laughs> so we did this in, in Times Square. We had Billy Mitchell. Remember Billy Mitchell oh, sure. it's from uh, King uh, of King Kong. of Kong? Exactly. Yes, the
1: one-time record holder in, in Donkey Kong. Exactly.
2: So Billy Mitchell was the uh, top-rated Pac-Man score. On a, by the way, he bought a three hundred and sixty to play for this when he heard about it. He beat all other scores, I top of the it. leaderboard on Pac-Man and represented USA. Then there was a guy, Dwayne. Did, did he
1: have the American flag he tie? He had the American
2: flag tie. <laughs> and we and it was, by the way, class act guy, great guy. Uh, always looks the same, I don't know if he aged or not. He is like, and, you know, he owned like a hot sauce company in Florida. It was yep. just, I mean, it was like, but it was video game history. And here yeah. I am, like we just had this idea on a, on a whiteboard in a room, right. and I flew to Japan, and then we had this, now we got the creator of Pac-Man making a new map for us, like, holy cow. And then we've got these great legends, and then like, there was, do I forget his name? There's a guy from Canada, who was a number employer player in Canada, and those two had always gone back and forth over the years. And we had guys from Mexico, we had someone from Japan. people all over the world, that came in, they played, um, and uh, the guy from Mexico actually won and uh, Carlos, sorry Carlos, I forget your last name now, it's been a few years, but we had, I mean it was like USA Today, it was the New York Times, we had the New York TV stations, like the weather reporters were there, were (laughs) live from the the Pac-Man World Championships. Namco brought all this historical stuff from the history of Pac-Man no one had ever seen out of their vaults, and so for me, like that would be another highlight, it's just something super cool that we created, the game was really fun, Uh, and then they play. so that of course, then we surprised him that night and said, hey, here's the creator of Pac-Man, and by the way, he's brought a whole new Pac-Man, and that's what you're going to play tomorrow. And, uh, and we're going cre- we're to we're pick the world champion based off, and he called it Pac-Man Championship Edition. Yeah. So, you know, and now I think it's like on, on every mobile phone and everywhere. And so, uh, so it was kind of fun to like we, you know, as marketers, we don't usually get to create games, but that was one where, um, uh, where we got to go create something pretty special.
1: So speaking of iconic moments, Yeah. Uh, take me back to E3 2006. Okay. The 360's out. Yes. What was it like for you and your team, particularly on you know, the marketing side? I know your Xbox 360's off to a good start. Yeah. You practically couldn't find one up through February. It was yeah. really hard to get. Yeah. When Sony comes out with the whole 599 US dollars thing, <laughs> what what is the reaction? Like... Bu- Privately, behind closed doors, from you guys, or you just—I think like... we were
2: surprised. You know, I mean, I think you know we don't, and even this. I mean, people think like we all know it. It's like, why did you do this when they're doing this? It's like, well, we didn't. They didn't know what we're doing. We didn't know what they're doing. Like, you know, like we may know or assume some things, but yeah. you know, just like predicting what anybody's going to do, it's you know, it's unpredictable, and so we did not expect that. Um, And, uh, you know, in many ways I think it just validated the value that we had in 360. I think we became more, probably more confident and reaffirmed that uh, that what we had and the kind of where we had gone to market with that, uh, we were in a good place. But you know, they had invested in a different way, you know, and made a big bet and we still knew they were a very, very formidable competitor and had been very successful, Um, obviously the PS2 generation. And we knew they were going to have a lot of great content, and a lot of great partners, and they were. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, it, it was a, it was a surprise to us.
1: Well, then conversely, I have to ask you about E 3 2013, when you sure. guys were kind of on the other side of the coin with it, yeah. where, you know, you, you, you showed you had your conference in the morning. Yeah. Uh, uh, at the very end of the conference, it's yeah. Xbox One will be available this November for four ninety nine. Yeah. And then that night, Sony does the you know three ninety nine. How, what, how's that go for you guys?
2: Uh, very similar reaction. Uh, we did not expect that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought they had a great, you know, showing, and I think they, you know, they uh, I think they did a great job with that E3. And uh, you know, back to the football analogy. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, they th- that 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 game that uh, they were the victors <laughs> on that day. And so you know, at the end of the day, you look back at the film, if you will. Yes. Uh, and you go Monday morning. You go, man, they ran some great plays, and kudos <laughs> to them. And you know, but the great thing is, I think what we've done over the last couple of years, you know, I think what Phil Spencer's done coming in and leading Xbox. I'm really, really proud, and particularly the last couple of years of what the team's been able to achieve. And, you know, we've faced adversity in all different kinds of ways each generation, you know, with the OG original PlayStation, original Xbox. uh, um, We were new to the market. We were much later than after PlayStation had launched, and, uh, and the
1: GameCube was was you know formidable. Totally, well. absolutely, it was
2: it was all it was the Sony Nintendo battle, yeah. and so with the, with some Dreamcast in there too, and so uh, and we were we were like the new new guys, uh, way outsized, um, and uh, didn't have the content library they had, and but we were innovating and doing different things with Xbox Live and other things with 360. Of course, you know the red red ring was a challenge. Uh, you know adversity we faced and I think with Xbox one we similar things with with uh, with what happened leading up to launch and, and and all that but it's like okay so we're all gonna face adversity things are not gonna happen the way you expect them but then like what do you do about it yeah and so that's where I think I get the you know most admiration for our team and you know when you're challenged when you're you know when ships are down when you're like you know when when you've lost connection with your fans, when you know, you've know you just been off strategy, what do you do? And I think what Phil has done with our, the rest of our leadership team, we have an incredible uh, group of folks, um, to really take, You know, we're all gamers, we love games, we've been around this business for so long, and say, this is what we need to do, this is what we need to focus on. And a lot of us felt that way maybe along the way, but now, like, we're driving it and we're in charge. And yeah. so that felt great. And so uh, I think being able to refocus on games and I think the team in a very short time now, you look at our games lineup this holiday, I think you know we feel like we delivered probably one of you know the best lineups in the industry. And uh, we talked about it. We both believed it was the greatest games lineup in Xbox history. And to be able to have all those 80-plus Metacritic titles, to have those titles largely all come out on time, to come out at high quality, to see fans' reactions, just to, you know, we sat... We set some incredible records. Our our exclusive games this, uh, hol- it will basically say this half of the year sold sixty six percent more units than we did last year. You know, at the same time, we sold more consoles. We've sold more consoles for Xbox One than we have for Xbox Three Sixty every single month. So we're trending. By the way, PS Four sold a lot more than PS Three. So like, oh, yeah, the whole industry is growing. Yeah. And so I think it's a good. It's good for us. It's good. It's good. It's good for everybody. Um, you know, we're seeing our publishers are selling more games, and so. But I'd say I'm particularly proud with where we've innovated. You know, we've delivered over 200 new features to the console in one year. We delivered backward compatibility, which is a huge. The elite hundred. is probably my favorite the elite new toy controller. At home. Yeah. You know, I just think about the the new Xbox One experience. Uh, in addition to the titles, um, some great innovation with Windows 10 streaming and uh, the Xbox app. There, I just think you know the team has done, I, I feel like the team's done more than a year's work in a year. And so that's kind of, we want to keep doing that. I think we're very passionate about that. I think we're we're hungry. We know that we have to work a little harder and be a little, be better than the other guy in some cases. Uh, and, uh, and I think the team has shown up shown up really well.
1: Do you think that, uh, you know, It's I've predicted on our Xbox show, Unlocked, that I mean, in- inevitably, at some point, whether it's this year or not, th- there will be a a slim down form factor of, mm-hmm. of Xbox One. At least, there certainly, we've got a couple of them during the 360 generation. When that point comes, do you think, because you mentioned one of the, the proudest moments for you was you, you just said you felt like the original NXE with the 360 was sort of, and then the, with Netflix mm-hmm. and Kinect was sort of a, almost a relaunch of the 360. Do you feel like, on, as a marketing team and a mm-hmm. marketing lead, that... That the uh, and a slim machine at some point would would almost serve as a as a catalyst to to relaunch the Xbox One because you said you backwards compatibility the the new uh, dashboard uh, you know the the lower price of the console there's the you know, the games lineups is is incredible do you do you kind of do you get to do you sit back and kind of look at at those kind of things and go oh maybe I can kind of take all of this and, and channel it into a, a a big, you know, take all these little pieces and combine them into one big push?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think first, um, you know, I, I mean, you predicted last year that we were going to do that. So <laughs> I was a little early. Uh, I'm, I'm a Still hu- a little early. I, guess, I will stick so. with the no comment on when <laughs> any of these may or may not happen. Sure. Um, but, I, you know, I think like the Ability to be able to go and market a, the, a complete offering in a way, whether you call it a relaunch or not. Um, you know, I think I think we tried to do that this holiday with our games lineup and with what we did with backward compatibility, what we did with the new Xbox One experience. And I think we saw a lot of great, I mean, we had a really, really strong holiday as a result of that. Um, and so, you know, for us, we're going to continue to... Focus on building great games. We're going to continue to focus on putting our fans first. We're going to continue to focus on making Xbox Live the best online service and community. We're going to continue to innovate. We want more people to play our games, more people to experience these things, and so that's kind of our focus. And what do we do with other things, and you know, all that uh, you know remains to be seen. Uh, and you know, some things may happen, some things may not, and we'll talk about you know them at the right time. Uh-
1: has ha, so you, you you were kind enough to walk me through uh, the meeting-filled day, uh, average day for you. Yeah. But I'm I'm kind of curious. Uh, so how how is success mm-hmm. measured for you? Sure. Like as as when when Aaron Greenberg sits down and gets his performance review. Right. I mean, we don't have to get that granular. <laughs> but, uh,
2: but yeah, like what you know what what's what sort of success for you
1: at the end of the day?
2: Well, you know we so every month we look at our business results. Um, you know, for us, uh, we do obviously have projections of what we want to achieve. Uh, and it's not all just about units and sales. That is right. part of it. We wanna, we look well, that's at what en- I'm curious of. Look is it, like, engage, yeah, we look at engagement. We do. We look a lot at engagement as a key. From a business, we actually look at engagement as our top metric. And so, because the problem is, is that like, so if you just go and sell something, but your customer doesn't come back, how, many, how often do they come back and play it? You know, do how, because that is really the determinant of the value they see in that game. Mm-hmm. So the number of times each person, we launch a game, how many times do they come back and play that game? And it, it can vary based on the type of game or the release of the game. And so the level of engagement, also the most likely they're going to want to go buy that game or a similar game if it comes out next year right. or the next version of that um, is dependent on how much value we got out of it. Um, you know, you, ma- you look at something like Minecraft and try to think about how many... Game sessions. How many times people have gone back and played? My, I mean, it's astronomical. Yeah. You know, and so, but you That's think why of, you
1: paid a couple billion dollars for it? But it think might. about
2: from a fan engagement standpoint. Like, if you paid twenty bucks for a title, you may, you know, and how many times? You, like the value of that you're getting thousands that, of hours. Exactly. It's unbelievable off the value chart. So we, that does matter a lot. Uh, but you're right. I mean, ultimately, uh, that is can sometimes be the hard part of the role. Is uh, you know, we don't always you know, make every number, exceed every target. Uh, we can be very aggressive in targets sometimes, and, and generally they do come to me uh, for those. But, you know, we look at the data and the insights, and we try to learn from all those things. And, uh, you know, what we have done differently, what's surprising us, what's overperforming, what's underperforming, um, you know. And the key thing is just to take the feedback, and my, my boss always tells me that feedback is a gift and uh and so and but he gives me great that feedback. sounds like something a boss would say it does doesn't it <laughs> he's very like football coach like and so uh i get, so i get the i get the locker room thing but it's great because he'll give me all this kind of feedback and it's and to me it pushes me it challenges me and it makes me a better person and you know some people talk about there's different analogies some people talk about like when the military goes on a mission at the end of the mission they always do a debrief and they always like you know um uh, uh, no, debrief is before the mission. They always do the, after the mission, they do a recap and they, yeah. do, they go and they analyze what happened. The like Postmortem. mortem basically. Post-mortem, there you go. We do that on all our stuff. And that's super helpful. It's just a, how do you learn? Because you're not going to get everything right. You're going to take risks. You're going to try things you haven't done. Or there may be things in the market, like maybe the market is down this year, or maybe we had seven titles launch in four weeks. You know, like there's just, and so there's unexpected things. But how did you compare versus... Last year, how'd you compare versus the market? You know, how'd you compare versus the competition? You know, a lot of different ways to measure it, um, and we use all those factors to sort of define define success, um, for sure. So, uh, what's the
1: biggest misconception people have about Microsoft? Do you think having having worked there for for a very long time?
2: Hmm. It's hard for me to answer that because I have been there so long that I, you know, I'm uh, you know, uh, not an outsider. But I would say from what I've heard from, you know, I think people think of Microsoft. It was interesting. What I did one day was um, I went and, and became an employee at the Microsoft Store. And they had this program. They asked us if we wanted to volunteer to do it. And they said, listen, if you want to go, like, they had to go through a little bit of employee training. Yep. And I basically became a store employee. Yep. And I worked there for a whole day. And it was fascinating what happened. So first off, like, you know, the doors open and there's like this 80 year old guy carrying in his desktop computer into the Microsoft. And I'm like, uh oh, and I'm asking the manager, I'm like, what's going on here? He's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, I'm like, we're we're like the Microsoft store. Like, if you want to get like an Xbox or a Microsoft band or a Surface, I'm like, this guy looks like he's coming. Oh, yeah. No, no, they. He needs tech support. He needs tech support. Yeah. So I think a lot of people think of us, you know, as like very. Tech-oriented, very kind of PC, kind of the heritage of the company. Um, you know, I would say that, uh, and I think there's a perception that Microsoft is a little bit of, you have to drink the Kool-Aid and use all our own stuff and all that. But I, you know, I think it's it's and and some of that may be true. Uh, historically, it's maybe true. I would say Microsoft today is very different than Microsoft uh, that I kind of grew up with. Mm-hmm. You know, I think today. It is really, you know, what Satya, his vision and how he's changed the culture in the company, how he's changed us to be much of a mobile-first, cloud-first company. You see that, you know, Office used to be all about Office to drive, oh, yeah. a computer on every Sell desktop. Sell that dollars
1: Office every year or two. Right,
2: and now we have student versions. We have Office is on your iPhone, your yeah. iPad. It's everywhere, you know, and it's you. There's, they, they've got one note on the Apple Watch, you know, so it's just like, you know, so I think that, I mean, by the, that's it's about putting the customer first. And if you put the customer first, like if they love your products and they want to use your products no matter where they are, no matter what device they're on, you know, almost always if you focus and make your decisions based on them, you're going to make the right decision. And so, it's been refreshing and I think, you know, the company people feel like, you know, we're on an upswing, you know, and of course, stock's going up and all the all the smart people are saying that too, but you know, and we're seeing a lot of growth in our business. You know, Bing's doing great in the online business, doing great, the cloud business is doing great, Office is doing great, but they're doing great because they've reinvented themselves. And I think, you know, for us, it's the same challenge we have in gaming. Is like, okay, so in a mobile first, cloud first world, in a world where we want as many people to play our games, to be connected to our service, you know, how do we, you know, expand our aspirations even beyond just about being a console and trying to win the console wars? And so, you know, I think, you know, who knows? How that all plays out, but I think it presents a lot of opportunity for us, and uh, and I think it, you know we're n- nowhere near done in our vision and how we want to drive our business and and impact the games industry.
1: What's been the most exciting product launch for you in your career at Microsoft? Because for me, as a gamer, I don't know if I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything, experienced anything, or will ever again experience anything like the Halo Two launch. Yeah, that was just like a cultural earthquake yeah and I mean I was very lucky to be near the epicenter of it working for an Xbox magazine yeah but that what what for you was the most exciting product launch whether a console or Mm -hmm. a game or
2: probably Xbox live you know I worked on Xbox live in the early days and we were launching it and post-launch and um you know when we did the the um, we did the beta with Revolt and Tremor, the other games were in there. But I for me like uh, the MotoGP, right? MotoGP, that's right. And Halo Two was the first Halo that had oh, Xbox yeah. Live, and that was what took it from LAN parties to allowing everyone to play. Uh, so it's funny you mention that. And I think iconically, what I, the moment I remember was the magical moment I remember was putting on the headset and playing Mech Assault and going, great game and going. I've never experienced something like this before. Like I yeah. truly, it was like I felt like I was in a magical world. You know, the being in the Willy Wonka chocolate factory equivalent. As a gamer, I felt that way. And voice I was, chat
1: was not kids. Voice chat was not ubiquitous at no, all. No, at that
2: point, no, not at all. And like you know, people were doing multiplayer PC games largely without a lot of voice yeah. chat. Uh, people, people thought we were crazy to try to get people to talk in the living room. There's other people. House is going to work. You know, and so. Uh, But I remember playing Mech Assault and playing with people and uh, just, you know, blowing stuff up and just remember how much fun it was. And it was, the game was fun, but the magic was that we were, there was an experience created socially with me and my friends as if we were sitting on the couch together, but we weren't. And I had never had that experience before. And so that was truly magical. And then to start to think about that, you know, then I remember we played Ghost Recon and we played a bunch of other early titles and just seeing that develop and evolve and then putting that. Tech and that service in the hands of game developers, and that you know, Halo by the Halo Two and the Bungie team at that time had a huge influence on Xbox Live. We added a lot of features, mm-hmm. did a lot of stuff for them. And you know, Max mate was heavily involved in the whole party system. Yes, like. exactly. Yeah, Max is a great guy. Still does a lot of work with us. So you know, and uh, and so being able to be part of those kind of early pioneering days where you're really creating something. From nothing and then building on it and and having more people get engaged and and I remember we were so excited when our Xbox Live members in a year doubled from 2 million to 4 million members you know and it was like and and even the first year when we hit a million we were we never expected to hit a million I think we were supposed to hit a few hundred thousand Mm -hmm. and so Alive just took off and skyrocketed Um, and so that was that was incredible to me that's probably the launch highlight that that I remember the most a little bit of an extended window um, but that was super special and and then now to see where it is and to look back at that as like the foundation and that was before Twitter before Facebook before all the social medias Uh, and uh, so it was really cool to be part of that
1: if you could go back in time and change anything about either a marketing launch, a product launch, anything that maybe you've been involved in—if there's one where you, you could go back and go, "I wish I'd done that one a little differently." Are there—are there any of those?
2: That's a great question. Um, that's a hard one because I, you know, philosophically, you know, f- f- two things I'll say about—I'm a—I'm a glass half full guy. Uh, first, two, I love everybody, so <laughs> I just, you know, and sometimes it's a bad thing, it gets me in trouble on Twitter, by the way, because uh, I'm like nice to everyone, I love everyone, and then and then people will be like. Hey, have you actually seen like that person that like you wrote back and like they're like this horrible? And I'm like, oh my god, I don't. I'm sorry, I didn't realize. You know, so. Uh, but even with launches and, and things or other programs we work on, um, I try to learn from them, and I don't I don't believe like, hey, we should admit where we made mistakes or we made miscalculations. But for me, it's a learning opportunity versus a I really wish I'd done something differently. Right. Um, you know, I think I'd go back and maybe look at some of the early t- titles that we brought to market and go, probably shouldn't have launched those. <laughs> you know, there's a few in there. I probably shouldn't name names, just, you know, uh, well, I like to be uh, the, uh, I love to share them as much as I can. You love everybody. Exactly. We, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, uh, kick, any of the <laughs> kick any of the children in the teeth, but there were some pretty bad games uh, in there. Uh, and uh, now there were some incredible fun ones, you know, and. We talked about a few, or Midtown Madness, and Crimson Skies, sure. and, you know, a lot of those I loved playing. Um, you know, I know Phil a, was a big fan of Voodoo Events, which is a great, great title. I saw you have the Voodoo Events doll on your, oh, yeah, on keep your, that one. On your desk. So, um, But there, you know, uh, there's some other ones I didn't mention in that list uh, that maybe, you know, um, we probably shouldn't have made. But uh, with all that said, we learned a lot from the ones that weren't successful yeah. as well. Uh, so Xbox One, as
1: we start to wind down here, we've we've sort of touched on it as a pretty killer lineup for 2016 on paper. We obviously mm-hmm. hope that they're going to turn out <laughs> as well as we, we want them we want them to. You know whether it's Quantum Break or sort of the first the next one up in April, uh, you know Gears 4, Sea of Thieves, Recore, Halo Wars 2, Crackdown 3, Inside, uh, Cuphead, etc. That's yeah. not even all of them. So uh, okay, so which you like everybody, but which which of those kids is going to the best school? Which which one are, is Aaron Greenberg most excited about? Ryan McCaffrey with put the me trick on the questions. Spot. I'm gonna get you pick in trouble. Pick your favorite
2: child and then pick the one you don't like yeah, the most. I'm gonna put you.
1: In, I'm gonna get you so in trouble with all the other developers.
2: It's pretty easy for me because uh, right now the title I'm most excited about is Quantum Break. It, it is 100% the type of game I love to play. Um, you know, Tomb Raider was probably my favorite game of last year, and I played a lot of Halo. I loved. I loved. Hear
1: that three four three. Looking to
2: see turn ten. No one will ever answer this question again (laughs) because of that. But but uh, but uh, and and also frankly because some of the other titles I haven't played as much Mm -hmm. yet. So um, you know uh, at the end of the year ask me again it might be a different answer. (laughs) But I will say that uh, Quantum is shaping up to be an incredible game, Um, a great story, a lot of innovation with um, with what they're doing. um, with that title, not just on the narrative, but also gameplay, you yeah. know? and uh, I think it's, you know, great to have a, it's just different fun to have a great third person shooter. I think the whole time freezing and, and all that, the kind of evolving on what they originally created with bullet time and how they're evolving that and how that uh, and, the na- and the live action all changes and impacts the outcome of the game uh, is, I think it will suck people deep in. They will love it. It'll be something uh, that will be magical for them too. And so that's the title I'm most looking forward to, just sitting down and just spending hours and hours playing. Uh, which of the three, we're going to keep playing this game. Oh, you got me to answer it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. like, pick your second favorite child. Which yeah. of the which of the
1: three <laughs> yeah. Xboxes has been your favorite? Because obviously, you know, you can, there's, there, are, there are, you could, pitch, make a a marketing answer here as far as like, which one did the best, but you could, there are sentimental answers. I'm genuinely curious, which of the three Xboxes has been your favorite?
2: I I truly, and this is not a marketing answer. I truly can't just pick one favorite because I do like each of them for different reasons. And for the original (laughs) Xbox, you know, I think what we did, you know, in such a short period of time and a lot of the bets we made and we were We were a small group of people, kind of just doing whatever we want, you know, and it was mostly off the shelf parts to put that thing together. And it was a pretty expensive box to make happen. Uh, And the game content was a little all over the place, but we had some incredible titles that came out of that. Um, And so there was a lot of magic in that. With Xbox 360, it felt like we just got everything right, you know, Um, and I think, you know, building Xbox Live in, we did a lot, you know, a lot of people, You know, gave us a hard time about entertainment with Xbox One, but we did a lot of pioneering with entertainment on. You know, with apps and uh, having digital movies. Totally, we had the 1080p streaming movies. Um, we had Netflix. We did a lot of work with there. We worked a lot of TV providers. We did a lot of interesting stuff there. In addition to having, I mean, what an incredible lineup of you know games from the Gears franchise, Mass Effect, Mass Effect. I mean, exactly. It was just so many. So many, so many, so many great games um, and um, you know, Call of Duty kind of took off on 360. That's true, it was a
1: launch title, Call of Duty Project Gotham
2: Racing, yeah. you know, so, uh, you know, uh, Forza. And so I just think there was a lot of greatness there. Um, and I think with Xbox One, we're where we are right now, as I kind of spoke to, I think I'm really proud of what we've achieved over the last couple of years in particular, um, I think the team has made an incredible product, I think we have you know, industry leading games lineup. I think as we look to this next year, you're right, we're gonna have more games, more AAA games. We're planning on selling more games this next year than we did in 2015. And so if you're a gamer, I think we delivered for people this year, Uh, this past year, we're gonna deliver again for them in 2016. And if, you know, if you love gears or you're interested in, you know, Um, what is ReCore gonna be gonna be like or what is ReCore we literally don't know (laughs) there was a very vague trailer Uh, or Quantum Break or you know I mean there's just so many great games um, coming and I just say stay tuned you know and uh, we're excited to let people you know get to play Sea of Thieves and we've talked about we're gonna um, have a multiplayer crackdown experience coming and so there's just a lot of innovation uh, happening and uh, so I think it'd be exciting to get to share more of that throughout the year but it's going to be a big year for gamers and if you're an Xbox One owner I think you're going to be happy.
1: So how about what was your favorite original Xbox game and then give me your favorite 360 game. Original, I'm always curious to ask these questions yeah, those of the are, old school guys.
2: Okay I would original Xbox game would be um, I'm going to go with Mecha Assault.
1: Yeah because of Solid that call.
2: because one it was a fun game uh, the amount of time I spent playing it and the innovation that that had around xbox live and uh, just really fun single player game too it, it was a good single player yeah. game and it has a, had a lot of good memories for me um, it's just a really really fun game um, off the top of my head that's what i will pick uh, later tonight i'm sure i'll be like oh you know damn it uh, we'll just dub it in exactly yeah uh, three you know This one will be hard uh, because there's so many, so many great games. But I'm going to surprise you with this one and say NCAA football. What? Yes. Here's the reason why. I, you know, listen, I'm with Snoop Dogg on this thing, like, I want, <laughs> I want, I want to play that thing on back and pat, I have very little controller if that happens or not, uh, there's no NCAA football anymore. There's
1: gotta be legal hurdles up the, up the I wazoo on that one.
2: imagine.
1: Right, so, that's never gonna get, be backwards compatible for, right, it's.
2: But, uh, I miss it, to be honest, yeah. you know, and so as a sports, ga- I, I mean, I like all kinds of games, and I'll play shooters and role-playing games, and but I also play a lot of the sports games and racing games, and, uh. You know Peter Moore, call him up. Peter, let's go. <laughs> oh, poor Peter answers this question on Twitter and social. He's a good guy. He always gets hounded about why they don't make a baseball game every year or whatever. That's me, actually. Yeah, yeah. is it? Okay. Yeah, uh, cool. So good. But, you know, NCAA football is a game I miss. And uh, I just, it, you know, something fun about it. It took you to college stadiums and, you know, they had the pregame with ESPN yeah. and, you and uh, It was
1: always kind of secretly a better game than Madden, which was always good, but like
2: NCAA was kind of where a lot of the innovation came A lot of people, you know, and, and you could play mascots versus mascots and do all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff. And it was just really fun. And then, you know, you'd always try to get the rosters for the players with the real names yeah. in. I, mean, we used to get a mem- I used to get a guy to mail me a memory card, and we'd pass it around the office. And so, you know, so I would say, you know, just to pick something different, I pick NCAA football because nice. I miss it. And, uh, and I just, I think it's funny that Snoop Dogg's been uh, so actively asking uh, for <laughs> this to be the back, back and pat. Sending people to our Xbox feedback site to go vote for it. I don't know if you've seen that. It's just crazy. And so uh, I, I voted. All and, right. Uh, while I don't have a lot, of we'll see. You know. <laughs> May the uh, lawyers be in, be with us. So.
1: Uh, Two last questions for yeah. you do you think marketing video games is, is easier or harder than marketing other products? because you, know, you, did, you did have some experience with you know Nestle and yep, putting yep. things on trains and buses <laughs> uh, yeah. and then of course your, your bit of time at Disney. So what do you think? Is it, is it an, you because know, you've got a very engaged audience yes. as you as you know every day from, yeah. from social media and, yeah. and Xbox Live and what have you which can be good and bad, right? Yeah. but yeah, what do you think is it, is it easier or harder? Well for
2: sure it's more fun. I mean for sure it's more fun
1: more fun than toll house cookie dough and and figuring out Well, I mean, I'm thinking of like if you're (laughs)
2: if you're doing like cereal or you're doing, you know You're the pop-tarts guy or something, you know, so sorry. I'm sure that's Kellogg's Yeah, I know know. they've been a good partner (laughs) of ours too, but uh, I I would say it's different The the difference with gaming well for you kind of hit on the first point the level of passion Of our fan base is almost unmatched. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that, you know, we often talk about, or one of the things, like people that don't know gaming at all, you know, I'll say, listen, like, there's a few things that people get so emotional about that they you know they'll dig through your trash they'll 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 demand answers to they'll stop you in the streets you know and it's like iPhones right right iPhones, <laughs> yes. exactly iPhones yeah uh, politics yeah, sports like stuff they put all over their facebook <laughs> yeah. sports like celebrity entertainment kind of thing and then like video games yeah. you know and so it just has you know and that's what is so fun because people have so much passion it's something that people love and 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 the industry is so rich with with uh, you know, just so much. Our fans have so much. You know, when we did the thing at E3, we said, "Listen, we're gonna let first 500 people, if they want to come to E3, show up at this place at you know at night, and uh, you know, if you show up, we'll we'll. We will we did not actually tell me get in E3, but we did this fan fest thing. We had 500 people sleep out overnight. Wow, like to go to a free media conference, right? Like it was just crazy. Like I, I'm guessing that. If I was the Pop-Tarts marketing manager, uh, and offered uh, <laughs> to reveal <laughs> the next flavor of Pop-Tarts, there probably wouldn't be five hundred people sleeping out, you know. And but that's what makes it amazing. I think marketing versus other products, it's very different, you know, because we have to we have to market and launch so many new things. Right. It's very different than sustained marketing, where you know, think about uh, a soft drink company. It's sugar water, right? Yeah. And so you're basically having to, it's marketing about creating events and engagement and things with your family. But it's not about new products as much. And we have to market new products. And some of those are new. Take Recor, brand new IP. We have to go build a new brand. We have to explain people the characters, what the game's about. And create when the, And when people, to get to, I want to buy your product, there's a long process that they go through of like, Awareness, discovery, engagement—to where they actually go. I'm willing to buy it, right. you know. And that journey to take people on, you know. Whereas, like, if I—I I don't know if you're a Coke or Pepsi guy or whatever, but
1: I'm, I'm more of a Coke guy. I gotta okay, say. good to know. Good more to of know. A Coke okay, guy.
2: good. So you, like, you probably know what you're going to go buy at the supermarket, right. right? And so it's just a different thing, you know. We're uh, but at it's least you fun. don't have That's to. At challenge. least you don't
1: have to find uh, 17 different new ways every year to market the same sugar water over and over again.
2: That is. That would that, drive me nuts, right? That is. That <laughs> is. That is true. That is true. And so, but I'll tell you, some of the best marketers work at those companies because they they have to create something out of nothing, yeah. and they tend to have also pretty big budgets to do pretty, I mean, the Super Bowl and all this, right? Like, so they do marquee things to engage their fans, and and that is also not about, uh, much about marketing a product, this is about building a brand, right. you know, and so that fascinates me too, but we mostly, uh, well, th- we do do a lot of brand building with Xbox, we get to market and launch a lot of great products, and, and they're some, maybe a little bit more like launching and marketing movies or another form of entertainment, um, and I think that's more similar to what we do than, than a lot of other products that people market.
1: So, last question I have for you is, you know, Phil Spencer's a guy who, obviously, he's the head of Xbox, he's the public face of the company as yeah. well and deservedly so he's a guy that the community I think really appreciates because as you mentioned he mm-hmm. is a legit gamer he's not a suit no. that's running a business no. who has never laid his hands on the controller he he does he's got the street cred to back up his his uh, you know professional yes. cred as yes. well yes. so I, but I'm curious you know we all we the Phil Spencer we see is the guy on stage with a big smile because he's presenting some new thing that he's excited about. What is Phil Spencer like as a boss to work for? (laughs)
2: Uh, Well, first I'll say the thing I love about Phil is there's only one Phil. Like what you (laughs) see on stage, if you run into him at an event, uh, if you're in a meeting, like like when I see him in the hall, like that is truly who he is. He is genuinely... One of the best, you know, folks I've gotten to work with ever in the industry. You know, he's really special. I think he's got an incredible uh, vision for the business. A lot. He's known as the nice guy, right? Yeah. And he is a super nice guy and never curses and you know he's just never. Uh, I don't think I've heard him curse.
1: Not, not when he gets. Uh,
2: we made He in Halo. We made these no? buttons uh, <laughs> when we launched that said. Oh, we didn't make them, but the engineering teammate that said ship happens ship. Happens, you <laughs> yeah, know, kind of, of ing- engineering yeah, yeah. humor, you yeah. know. He 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 wouldn't wear one, huh? So he's a you know like the guy has a very high standard, which I admire. Um, and uh, with that said, he's pretty tough too, and like you know like he will push you hard and is never really satisfied. And I think that's part of the desire and hunger that he has to do more, to do better, you know. And so. I think that's what makes some of the best leaders, you know, in you know, in any in any industry, is uh, their hunger to continue to innovate and do new things. And while Phil, I think, is you know, a, he you know, he, he uh, you know, I know he sits on like the ESA board, the industry board, and works a lot with a lot of the leaders. You know, he works with you know all the CEOs of the other companies, mm-hmm. whether it's Take Two and Strauss or Andrew at EA or other folks in the industry. And he works with the Sony, and Nintendo guys. And he gets along with everybody, and he's genuinely a super great guy. Um, uh, but he, you know, he, he pushes us hard on the business and, uh, and you know, it's not, it's not a cakewalk going in and presenting and taking filter stuff. He's, he's tough. He knows his stuff. The other thing is he has a pretty good sense of humor. Um, in fact, um, I think on that note, I might, I, I have this shirt that I wear. Okay. That he has never seen. He has never seen. I, am going to very carefully. I mean, you are repping the brand. You got am, an Xbox sweatshirt I am repping the brand. What's happening right I now? Am, this is a shirt that, um, actually a fan made and sent to me. And okay. I was going to reveal it. Oh, I hope this all works out. Okay, right, Jen. As long as the mic is still. I think the mic is, yeah, okay. <laughs> so this is the shirt. Phil, if you're watching, um, I'm gonna start wearing this to meetings with you. Um, I, have people seen this? It's the ex-boss. Uh, now, how many people do you work for that people love so much they've actually made a t-shirt out of him? Uh, so that's, I've got a Phil Spencer impressive. t-shirt, maybe one of a kind. Uh, and, uh, and I secretly wear it a lot the, as you see. And
1: that's the young Phil Spencer there too. That's It the, is. That's he's
2: probably the... a little thinner and a little more fit now. So, uh, <laughs> that bastard, but, uh, but anyway, we love Phil. I mean, and Phil, you know, we always, I, on Twitter would write in Phil, we trust Hundred, We trust Phil. We love Phil and he's gotten us where we are today. And I think we blindly follow him into the future. And he is one of those great leaders that, you know, when people write books about this industry or about video games or this era, uh, what Phil has done so far, and I think what he will continue to do over the many years, uh, is going to be, you know, um, really, really special. And I'm just excited to be part of it and get to get to work with them. And, and he's a friend of mine too, so I feel fortunate that way as well. Well, the next time you go to
1: buy an Xbox game and you see some cool TV commercial for it, odds are... This gentleman right here, Aaron Greenberg, had something to do with it. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for stopping by. This was a fascinating insight into your life and the Xbox world and and what it takes to make Xbox games and get them out into the world. And now, uh, if you'll excuse me, I have to go make a Steve Butts t-shirt, an IGN (laughs) Boss t-shirt. So, uh, Aaron, thank you so much. My pleasure. This has been IGN Unfiltered. And uh, tune in every month where we'll be sitting down with someone Hopefully is as interesting as Aaron you're setting the bar very high here, my friend. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you so much, Aaron. All right, thank you
3: In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging to mental health, to courage, and more. on Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.